Good morning. And welcome here to Bigger Kirk, where both the Bigger Kirk and uh, Blackmount Church families are meeting just now. And of course, we're meeting online as well. And if you're online, you are welcome. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. And if you're at home um, and you've forgotten to get your bread and your wine and your juice ready, then nip out during the first hymn and get ready to celebrate with us the Lord's Supper. I had a, a, a welcome break last week. Jane and I did join in the worship here at Bigger Kirk, and I am so thankful to Anne Smart and her team for leading a, a very thought-provoking and life-provoking service on the theme of Christ-like resilience. If you didn't catch that service, you can catch up with it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. It's well worth going back and having a look. We're in the midst of this continuing crisis in our country and in our world. But we are reminded by the next hymn and by the passage in 1 Peter from which it comes that Christ is our sure foundation. It's in him that we put our confidence. Though the world may be in turmoil, his love will remain unshaken, and we can find in him a stronghold and a resting place. Christ is made the sure foundation. If you're at home, you can stand and sing. If you're here, um, in the congregation, please stand, but please refrain from singing in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for life itself, not only our life, but for life that surrounds us in creation and in our human society. Thank you for gifts of color and sound, of happy moments of brilliant insight, for the skill of hands put to work in labor and in play. And thank you, God, for your presence with us. Thank you that you long to share this, your world, with us, that you long to hear what is on our hearts whether that be a song of woe or of praise. Thank you, too, that you long to share your heart with us to help us understand how deep is your love that is at the heart of all things. Lord God, make your presence known to us this morning. Make your presence known to us in the songs we will hear, the scripture we will read, the prayers that we will pray, and in the bread which we will break in your name. We pray now the prayer that you taught your disciples, saying this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. After my break last week, we are back to our journey through First Peter. The kids and I met on Thursday, and a slide of our meeting should come up there. Here's a, a, a photo of our gathering there on Thursday. There's Ruthie and myself and Anya and Sam, Jacob, Izzy, Anna, Mia, and Sophie and Will. We had a chat about the, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Can we have the next slide? Let me get undressed here for a moment. Mm. Can't get that button undone. Do you know what this is? It's what is known as a dog tag or an ID tag. ID, of course, is short for identity. My father was in the army, and when I was a kid, my brothers and I were fascinated with everything about the army. We used to play soldiers all the time. And we longed for a pair of dog tags like my father had. <clears throat> he would leave them on the dresser in the evening when he came home from work. And he would slip it over his head in the morning and tuck them into his uniform every day there in his shirt. A dog tag is a way of showing who you are. The one I've got is not because I'm in the army, it's because I have a pacemaker. It's got my name on it, it's got the serial number of the device, and it's got the date of when it was implanted in my chest. It's there so that someone can identify me if I ever have an accident. But usually it is tucked away in my shirt. This morning we move on to a section of Peter's letter where he speaks of identity. Peter tells his friends precisely who they are because they believe in Jesus. He gives them their identity. He tells them what their identity is. And these identities that he gives them are not new. They were the identity of the people of God in the Old Testament. And if you look, you can find the phrases that Peter uses in his letter in the books of Exodus, Isaiah, and Hosea. There's a slide with a list of those phrases. You can go on there if you want to look them up. It's important that we know who we are. And what Peter says of his friends there in his letter is true for us too if we trust in Jesus. Because of Christ, we are a chosen people. Because of Christ, we are a royal priesthood. Because of him, we are a royal nation. We are God's special possession. We who once had not received mercy have now 
had mercy poured out upon us, shown to us in Jesus. Now, next slide. We have all sorts of identities in life. We have a name. We are children of parents, no matter how old we are. We may be moms, we may be dads, we may be brothers and sisters, and we may be friends to some folk. We may have a job that makes us a teacher or an architect or a vet. But above all else, if we trust in Jesus, we are what God says we are. We belong to God. Our identity tucked under our shirt is that we belong to him. And that should make all the difference for all the other identities that we have in life. Now, I've got a couple of activities that I'd like folks, young and old, to help me with. Following on from this morning, I've got pictures of, of dog tags. And I've put the file of these pictures up on our Facebook page. If you, if you don't have Facebook, then get in touch with me, and I can give you one of these dog tags. And what I'd like you to do is, if you get them off Facebook, download them and print them out, and cut them out. On one side, it says, I belong to God. On the other, write your name or any identity that you have in life. It might be that you're a friend of so-and-so. It might be that you're a baseball player. It might be that you're a mom of this person or that person. Write that down as your identity. You can do more than one. On the sheet there on Facebook, there are like six of them. And you can have a, a string of dog tags. Cut a hole in it, put a string through it, and put it over your head and keep it under your shirt to remind you of who you are. The other thing that I'd like help with is this Remembrance Sunday on November the 8th. It's going to be quite different from any other Remembrance Sunday that we have known. We're not going to be able to gather in large crowds down at the War Memorial. And the church won't be full of people. We'll only have this number of people coming to church. But people will be able to join us online, and we're hoping to go online at 11 o'clock because we will begin our service with an act of remembrance here in the church for our whole community. There will be a wreath laying down at the memorial, but only six people are allowed to participate in that, and they do not want any crowds down there. That is against the law. So what I'd like you to do, it's important that we still remember those who gave their lives in war for their country. What I'd like you to do is find a stone and paint a poppy or poppies on it and take it down to the war memorial sometime during these next two weeks before um, Remembrance Sunday. There's going to be a memorial garden down at the war memorial. So lay your stones there, and that will be a sign that we all are still remembering. We're not forgetting, even though 
we face this coronavirus. Our next hymn is a hymn, again, recorded by folk in our own church. It's a new one. It's the hymn, O Great God in Highest Heaven. Could you stand and we'll listen. Our reading this morning is from the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of God for us today. Let's pray together as we turn to reflect on God's word for us today. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. And we confess that we desperately need your speaking. We don't know what today will bring, much less tomorrow. But you are the God who is sovereign over the universe. And you have revealed to us that you love us. Help us to trust in your word and to follow you. Lord, open your word that we have read to us this morning, that we might walk in your ways. Therefore, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> because I wear a dog collar, I have often had people mistake me for a Catholic priest. I've been called Father Mike in the past. And I've had to protest, no, I'm just a Church of Scotland minister. I'm not a Catholic father. But according to Peter, we who trust in Jesus, all of us, are priests. He says we are a royal priesthood. And what does Peter mean by this? What did it mean for folks in his day? And what does it mean for us today? Just to make this memorable, let's explore our priestly identity with three R's. Let's talk about the role of the priesthood, the rigors of being a priest, and the rights of priesthood of the people of God. 
The role of the priest is outlined extensively in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, where after God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he tells Moses how to set up the tabernacle in the wilderness and how his people should live as his people going forward. It's the family of Aaron from the tribe of Levi who are to be responsible for serving as priests in the tabernacle and in the tent that will come after, where God's presence is symbolized amongst his people. The role of priest is there in Exodus and Deuteronomy, but it is also goes back much further further than the instructions of Moses there in the wilderness. The role of the priest in the Old Testament goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, were called to play the role of priests in creation. They were called to play the role of priests to one another and to all that God had made. You see, the role of priest is to stand in the middle between God and others, to represent God to the world and to represent the world to God. The role of priest is a role with two directions, from creation to God and from God to creation. Humanity's calling was to bring all the praises of creation to God. What does it say there in Psalm 19? Though all of God's creatures have much to say about their creator and his magnificence, the psalmist says, they have no speech, they have no words, no sound is heard from them. You see, creation on its own does not speak intelligible words of praise. That is up to human beings to do. Creation needs an interpreter. Creation needs a priesthood. And that is the role that God gave human beings from the beginning. From creation to God in praise. That's one direction in the role of priesthood. But we mustn't forget the other direction, the direction from God to creation. In the instructions given by God to the first human beings in Genesis 1, it says that human beings are to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground to rule over creation. Now, sadly, this part of the priestly vocation of humanity has often been abused. God's intention was never that we should destroy creation but that we should rule it, or better yet, to serve it. God's intention was that we, as his priests, were to 
rule over, to serve his creation with his wisdom, taking what he says and what he commands and applying it to life and thus helping all of creation to flourish in the way that the creator intended it to flourish. This aspect of our priestly role is is clear here in 1 Peter where he calls his friends not only priests, but royal priests. Priests who are called on to rule, to rule by the authority of God, the King and the Creator. We know from the story of Genesis and from the subsequent history of our world right up to today, that we as a human race have failed and failed miserably at our vocation to be priests to God and from God to creation. So the establishment of the priesthood in in Israel was to reflect what God had always intended for humanity and for the world. The tabernacle and the temple that was to follow it where the priest ministered, was decorated like a garden, like the Garden of Eden, reflecting the reality of God's intention that wasn't just that human beings would meet with him in this one place, in in the temple, in the tabernacle, but that the whole of creation was meant to be his tabernacle and the whole of humanity to be his priests. This phrase, a royal priesthood that Peter uses in verse 9, is one that comes directly from Exodus, Exodus 19, verse 5. God didn't just establish the family of Aaron to be priests serving in the temple, but there in Exodus, he also calls on the whole of the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation serving in the world. God's intention for Israel was to stand in the middle between himself and the rest of the world, bringing them to him and him to them. And of course, again, the history of the people of God shows us that they didn't do a very good job with their vocation as priests either. Just as Adam and Eve had failed, they too failed to be priests for the world. And it's into this situation where Israel and all of humanity have failed at their calling that Jesus steps in. Even more than any other human, Jesus is able to be the great high priest, the go-between, between man and God, between creation and God. The writer of the letter of Hebrews proclaims that Jesus is the definitive great high priest, the one who is in very nature both God and man, is supremely able to represent one to the other bring about the reconciliation between heaven and earth 
where it has been ripped apart by our sin and our selfishness. And as Peter sees it, just as Jesus is the great high priest, his followers, those found in him, take on that vocation as well. We too become priests. The vocation of priest, according to the New Testament, is not just for ministers or for elders, but it is for every man, woman, and child who trusts in Jesus to find their identity as part of that royal priesthood and find their role in sharing God's words, God's love, and God's blessing with the world and gathering all the thanksgiving, gathering all the praise, and gathering all the hurt and the heartache of the world and taking it to a loving God. That's the role. But it is also the rigor. Being royal priests wasn't going to be an easy job for Peter's friends in Asia Minor in the first century, and it isn't an easy task for us in the 21st century. Peter's call to his friends is to play the role of priest to the very people who were persecuting them. And there were two temptations for God's people in Peter's day, and they're the same temptations for us too. On the one hand, when things get tough and people seem to be out to get us, or at least they don't understand us. We can be tempted to retreat. We can be tempted to run away into our own little enclave and write off the rest of the world. And on the other hand, we might be tempted to fight back and to fight fire with fire. But here, in his calling of the people to be priests, to those who persecute them. Peter advocates another response altogether. And it's part and parcel of this calling to be priests before God and before creation. The response that Peter advocates is the response that he saw Jesus making towards him and towards us. The response of Jesus towards those who caused him pain course was to love his enemies and to serve those who persecuted him and that is precisely what Peter is advocating for his friends in our passage and in the rest of his letter because our identity is in Jesus Peter says we must behave like him even and especially in the hard circumstances of life. So that's the role and the consummate rigor of the priesthood. What about its rights? What are the rights of the priests of God? In the Old Testament, when the promised land was parceled out to different tribes, the family of Aaron and the tribe of Levi was not given any land. Any land. 
Their portion was to serve. Their portion was to serve in the temple. Yes, they were given tithes and offerings to offset this, but they were given no property. Peter here in verse 11 addresses his friends as aliens and strangers, as people with a different identity, living in a place where they reside, but not being of that place. Just like the priests in the Old Testament, the people of Jesus do not ultimately belong to the to the society in which they find themselves. The people of Jesus live on earth, but in the words of St. Paul, they are citizens of heaven. They do not ultimately belong to this world, but they are called to serve it. Being people neither here nor there can be very awkward. Take it from me as someone who has lived his whole life as an alien in foreign parts. As strangers and aliens, we can't insist on our rights. We appreciate them when they're given us, but we don't begrudge not having them. And the thing is, by behaving as citizens of heaven here on earth, we are able to serve and to help others. We are able to help them to realize that there is another land, there is another kingdom to which they too belong. Isn't that what Peter is advocating here in verse 12? He says to his friends, live good lives, lives consummate with your heavenly home, that those who think they belong here, that's the meaning of the word pagan here. It's not derogatory. It's the word for Gentiles or for the nations that we see throughout the Bible. When these pagans see your heavenly-based life they will one day turn and glorify God and they will also find their vocation as children of their father, God. That is what Peter is advocating here. So there it is. What of our rights? The answer is that we have none. Like Jesus, our great high priest before us, our role is to serve Our role is to point to the one who calls us. We have no rights, but we do have a reward, as Peter has pointed out already. And our reward, that inheritance kept for us in heaven, is far more valuable than anything we could hope to gain in this fleeting existence that we have here on earth. The role, the rigor, and the rights of priesthood. Can I encourage you to consider today the fact that you 
whoever you are, if you trust in Jesus, you have a calling together with all God's people to be a priest. It's your primary vocation, and it is the foundation of all your other roles in life, if indeed you are a Christian. Consider the awesome responsibility that this gives you. But also consider how, with the help of Christ by his Spirit, you might play your role as priest to the world around you, particularly to those you, who find your faith weird or nonsensical or of no interest to them. How can you, on the one hand, present the unspoken praises and the heartfelt needs of these folks to God? And how, on the other hand, can you present God's blessing in word and deed to them? Let's take a few minutes just to silently present these questions before God. Let's pray together. God, what does it mean for me to be a priest where I live, amongst the people I live with? Lord, what things can I praise you for on behalf of those who have no voice or who have not yet found their voice of praise. How might I be a more effective intercessor, bringing the concerns of others to you? And how might I live in such a way that others might be blessed by me? by my words and by my actions. Lord, we lift these questions to you, knowing that you will answer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to listen to a communion hymn to prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's, uh, you'll see some images that I took here in the church, um, and I hope this blesses you, both those here in the church, but also those who are not able to be with us in the church building. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer and present to you our very selves to be a living sacrifice dedicated and fit for your acceptance, ready to play this role as priests in your creation. Send us out into the world by the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and to your glory. For we pray 
in Jesus' name.